Welcome to Keep the Flow, the podcast that looks under the hood of the creative process to keep your creative engine humming. I'm your host, Scott McLemore, a drummer and composer living way up north in Iceland. I've been involved in various creative pursuits, including working in graphic design and writing about creativity. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you what I've learned along the way. Here we go. What is curiosity? Why is it important? And how can we use it to keep our creativity flowing? So many topics that I touch on in these episodes overlap. It's kind of amazing to me. But today I want to talk about curiosity. In the previous episode, which I guess was my pilot episode, is that right? I know for TV shows they always talk about the first episode as a pilot. Anyway, in the first episode we talked about fear, and I think it's interesting how curiosity intersects with fear. When it comes to creativity, they are like opposing forces. Fear wants to prevent something from happening, and curiosity is all about making something happen, trying something new. What does this do? How does this work? What happens if I take this and mix it with that? If we think of our creativity as an engine, curiosity is kind of like the carburetor which sucks in the fuel and air to make something ready to burn and move the cylinders. It's the search for answers, the connecting of dots, the inspiration excavation that leads to ideas, experiments, stories, melodies, grant applications, so much paperwork, loss of sleep. Oh, wait. I mean, curiosity is a crucial instinct which drives us to explore, combine, reconfigure, refigure, refine, and reflect. So I figured in this, the second episode of Keep the Flow, we should examine this wonder of evolution for the sake of curiosity. Let's get started. Imagine you're in an ice cream shop, and they have like a bazillion flavors. Bazillion isn't a real number, but my point is, there's a lot of flavors. You've never seen so much ice cream, and the ice cream seller, vendor, whatever they're called, asks you what flavor of ice cream you want. Remember, you're looking at every flavor imaginable, and you say, vanilla. Excellent choice, the ice cream monger replies. Then they hesitate. Is that all? You know, you can have more than one flavor. And you're like, nope, vanilla is my favorite flavor. That's fine. You like vanilla. There's nothing wrong with that. I like vanilla too. Let me just say as an aside, vanilla bean is a serious thing. Have you ever gotten one of those vanilla beans at the grocery store, like in the little glass tube? I remember one time trying to make creme brulee, and I had to get that, and the smell was so amazing. Okay, back to the story. But then the ice cream vendor says, I understand our vanilla is world class, but can I interest you in something different, something unusual? And you say, well, I already told you vanilla is my favorite flavor, so um, nope, again. 
But then they say, oh, so you've already tried all the other flavors then, I see. And this is where it gets awkward, because you know you haven't tried all the flavors, but you don't want to sound like an idiot. So you just kind of look at your shoes and mumble something like, but I like vanilla. Okay, so we don't have to feel weird about liking vanilla. Not in 2024. But how can we really have a favorite flavor of anything without trying a bunch of other flavors? Otherwise, is it really a favorite, or is it just safety? Is sticking to what we know confidence in our true desires, or is it a failure of curiosity? It's not necessarily fear, but complacency, which we'll get into a little later. But first, why not be curious, right? Okay, so you could have some allergies. That would be a good excuse to stick to what you know. But people with a lot of allergies are often looking for something new, and safe, to eat because their options are so limited. However, our need to feel safe is the chief obstacle to curiosity. In other words, it's fear. It makes perfect sense that we evolved from ancestors having watched the guy in the bush next to them die from eating the wrong kind of berries. We are the product of generations of humans who already tried a bunch of stuff for us. They died so that we wouldn't have to be curious. But curiosity actually releases dopamine in the brain. It's like eating chocolate. Why wouldn't we want chocolate? Or vanilla? But being curious doesn't mean trying every single thing. Being curious is allowing your mind to follow its natural path. We are, after all, pretty curious as children. And our parents have to keep us from sticking forks in the electrical outlets and microwaving random stuff just to see what happens. I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? But that curiosity has to be steered somewhat. There are safety concerns, but we can't stamp out the curiosity altogether. Unfortunately, that seems to be what happens more often than not. We come up through educational systems that reward memorization over inquisitiveness. It's okay to be curious as long as it's about what they tell you to learn. Our grade school curriculums don't allow for curiosity on a larger scale. What's worse is the fact that the world is changing at a pace no one could have imagined even 10 years ago, and yet our curriculums are built for a world that existed after World War II. But kids are going to be curious somehow. And with the internet and social media, they have access to a seemingly infinite amount of information. Some of it good. Okay, I don't want to turn this into a rant on education. What I'm getting at is, once we get out of these institutions, we have to go about reviving our curious instinct. Our world is dependent on curiosity. Think of all the advances we have made. Penicillin, electricity, teletubbies, I mean television. Okay, not all advances are good, but innovation is how we are going to save ourselves and the planet. It could also be what does us in, though, so it's a toss-up. But one thing I know for sure is that without innovation and curiosity, there is no art, no music, literature, technology, medicine, industry, democracy, anything that requires ideas, because curiosity is the solution looking for a question. It leads us to the ideas. So how can we reawaken our curiosity? That's what we're going to get into next.
So I don't have any sponsors for the podcast yet. However, one way you can support the show is through the affiliate links I've included in the episode notes, which you can see in whatever app you're using to listen. One of these affiliates is through an app called Blinkist. I've been using Blinkist for a couple of years now, and it's been incredibly useful. It's the first place I'll go if I hear about a new nonfiction book that sounds interesting. They have easy-to-digest summaries of each chapter that you can read or listen to. If you're still interested, they point you to where you can buy the full book when you're done. Actually, that's how I found the book that I'm reading right now, The Way to Integrity by Martha Beck. I've learned so much just by reading the summaries, or blinks as they call them. I've found books I love and saved a lot of money by not buying books I wouldn't have read anyway. They're offering a free trial right now if you sign up through the link in the episode notes, and I'll get a little cut each time someone signs up. So you'll get access to over 6,500 nonfiction bestsellers and get to support the show at the same time. So what's not to like? And now, back to Keep the Flow. In the last section, I mentioned that a lack of curiosity could be fear, but it could also be complacency. What is complacency, though? I've heard some people define complacency as a fear of being uncomfortable or a resistance to discomfort. I don't really think of it as a fear, though. I think it's learned behavior from years of being discouraged to ask questions. It's funny. If you look at the word discourage, it's literally to take courage away from. And we need courage for creativity and for curiosity. It's not the same as contentment either. If you're content, you have found peace with how things are, yet you can still be open to curiosity. You can be content and not complacent at the same time. Complacency is a kind of false sense of contentment. For instance, when I graduated college with a degree in music, if I had thought, okay, well, I guess I've figured out music now and have the degree to prove it. No need to explore that music stuff anymore. Now I can just sit here and watch the gigs roll in. That's ridiculous and complacent and arrogant. But if I thought, so glad to be done with college, now I can focus more on learning about music in my own way. I like the direction that my drumming is going, but I can't wait to hear more great drummers and explore the ideas they have to offer. That's contentment with a generous helping of curiosity. This is how I strive to be, happy in the moment but always seeking out new ideas. Complacency ignores the need for curiosity, which is unsustainable. Eventually reality catches up to complacency and that false sense of security comes tumbling down, and then we're in crisis mode. So how can we rekindle our curiosity? By erring on the side of humility and developing a growth mindset. In his book, Future Skills, author Bernard Marr suggests curiosity is perhaps the most important skill needed for success in the future. 
He connects curiosity and humility, saying that in order to be curious, we need to be humble and accept that we don't already know everything. Okay, so we all know what humility is, but what about this growth mindset? That sounds dangerous, like something we might want to have a doctor look at. No, actually, this comes from a psychologist named Carol Dweck, who wrote the book Mindset. And I'll put links to all the books that I mention in the episode notes, if you're curious. Curious. It's basically a way of looking at the world from a perspective of learning. It assumes we are constantly evolving and our efforts are always worthwhile. The opposite of the growth mindset is the fixed mindset, which sees the world from a perspective of we just are the way we are. Some things are just outside of our given skill set. So it's like a belief system. Either we believe we're always growing, or we believe we were born with predetermined abilities, and this is as good as it gets. Someone who thinks they are not creative has a fixed mindset. Failure to someone with a fixed mindset is a disaster, while someone with a growth mindset sees it as an opportunity to learn and grow. Curiosity seems pointless to someone with a fixed mindset, but the good news is that anyone can develop a growth mindset. We're not stuck being one way or another. Getting out of the fixed column and over to the growth column is tricky, as our mindset is usually the result of our upbringing. Parents and teachers have a huge impact on how we see ourselves and our potential or lack thereof. But thanks to brain plasticity, we don't have to settle for whatever a fourth grade teacher thought of us. One way I like to encourage myself to think this way is to add the word yet to the end of sentences when I realize I'm saying something negative about myself. The word yet implies something that's in progress, something that's in the works. It's only a matter of time, like I'm not good about replying to emails right away, yet. Instead of proclaiming myself a failure, it turns into a statement of what I'm working on. Another thing we can do is just embrace the struggle. Carol Dweck wrote, In one world, effort is a bad thing. It, like failure, means you're not smart or talented. If you were, you wouldn't need effort. In the other world, effort is what makes you smart or talented. And what I take away from this is... The effort itself is the goal. I know that this, the second episode of my podcast, probably won't be that good. They will get better, though. And in the meantime, I'm enjoying figuring out how to make a podcast. When we're making effort, we're already succeeding. In the book, The Obstacle is the Way, by Ryan Holiday, he looks at the Stoic philosopher's version of this. What is in my way is the way, because hard things are the things worth doing. Embrace the struggle, embrace the challenges, embrace the process. And we need to have the humility to honestly look at where we are in order to chart a course forward. That honest inquiry is part of curiosity. Where are we and where can we go from here? With a growth mindset, we don't hesitate to ask the questions that will lead us to ideas because we see the value in the asking we see the value of curiosity.
Sir Ken Robinson, the education specialist. You've probably seen his TED Talk if you're nerdy like me. He once said, Curiosity is the engine of achievement. I would have said carburetor of creativity, but okay, fine. We've already established that it's really, really important, but there must be more ways to stimulate more curiosity to help drive our creative engines. Well, a professor at MIT and one from Queensland University of Technology, down under, that's Stephen Eppinger and Mark Kowaltowicz, I'm probably not saying that right, but they got together for a virtual conference during the pandemic to discuss the importance of curiosity in business. One point they agreed on was making time for aimlessness. They underscored that aimless is not the same as pointless. They found that allowing employees time for unstructured exploration had incredible benefits when it came to mental health and idea generation. Of course, the company reaps the benefits of whatever they come up with, if anything, but you don't need to work for a company to get the benefits of aimlessness. That sounds funny now that I say it out loud. What I mean is, aimlessness can be yours today for the low, low price of your free time. But how do we do aimlessness? What is the process to arrive without aim? It's hard to even talk about it. Now, I'm no fancy college professor, but this sounds a lot like boredom. Aimlessness and boredom are different things, obviously, but I think to get to a point of true aimlessness, you kind of need to achieve a state of boredom. And you're probably thinking, that sounds awful, Scott. Why would I want to be bored and aimless? So glad you asked. Daydreaming. That's your answer. When we're bored, our minds wander. The old idea generator goes into overdrive. Our curiosity carburetor kicks in and we start wondering about things, asking questions. We might start off aimless, but we don't stay that way for long. Our minds hate aimlessness and boredom. That's why I would assume most employees, when given time for aimlessness, would immediately start scrolling on Instagram. It's hard to be bored these days, with the Netflix and the TikTok and the YouTube. Boredom used to be a pretty large chunk of my day. That could be a whole other episode, actually. So setting aside time to be alone with your thoughts is a guaranteed way to stimulate curiosity. And it doesn't have to be a major retreat. Try it for 15 minutes once a week and see what happens. Then increase the amount of time or the frequency of these boredom sessions. A lot of times I use these as a method of composing. I don't set out to write any music, but I'll sit down at the piano and just look at the keys for a while. Then I let my hands touch the keys and gradually start pushing them down completely randomly. Sometimes an idea will emerge, sometimes not. If one does, I'll develop it further and record it. Many of my favorite compositions started out this way. Another way to do this is to go on a walk without headphones. No music, no podcast, just your thoughts to keep you company and maybe your dog if you have a dog. The dog can come too. Okay, we're back. Before I sign off, let's review the various ways we can increase curiosity. Number one, ask questions. 
Number two, avoid complacency. Number three, strive for contentment with humility and a growth mindset. In other words, be at peace with where we are and yet honestly question ourselves and be open to learning and growing. Number four, know that the effort we put in is in and of itself a success. Number five, embrace the struggles and challenges. And six, make time for aimlessness and boredom to let your mind wander. So in the previous episode, I remarked that I would have to do follow-up episodes, and I'm pretty sure the same is true about curiosity. It's just too big for one, and this feels like so much talking, it seems like I should have covered it all. But I'm having fun, so it's all good. That's it for me. I'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep the flow. Keep the flow.